Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. If you've been enjoying hearing Brian's content, then you'll love seeing him in person. And you can do that very thing August 4th to the 6th when he brings his Mastermind Summit event to the San Diego Convention Center. To secure your seat, visit buffiniandcompany.com slash mm. Today we have an interview with productivity guru David Allen, recorded backstage at one of our live events. Let's listen in on this great interview. Well, the top of the morning to you, and welcome to the Brian Buffini Show. I am very excited to have on our show a man who just spoke at our Richmond success tour and just lit up an audience, trained them, educated them, and expanded their horizons. And we are very excited. He's a best-selling author. He's called the personal productivity guru. David Allen, it's a pleasure to have you. Thanks for coming. Brian, thanks for the invitation. It's awesome. Flew all the way in from Amsterdam to be with our folks, and we're very, very honored to have you and do a special little presentation today for the folks on the podcast. And you've done, you said, a lot of these podcasts, so great. You can probably guide me along as we go. <laughs> Cabbages and kings. <laughs> That's good for an Irishman, by the way. Yeah. You know? Great stuff. So I want to dive right in to the methodology of getting things done. We have a, a highly productive group, a highly productive listenership, and... I love, I'm a systemizer by nature. I went to school, believe it or not, to be an, I was being trained to be an actuary. So I have that little anal retentive part of me that is also this free-spirited guy. People see me speak on stage, they go, there's no way this guy was ever going to be an accountant. But I love the systemization because I believe the freedom comes in that. And you're kind of the, the master to that. So I just love to give the folks a little background. Like, where'd you grow up? What was it like living in the Allen household? Well... I grew up uh, first in East Texas for my first six years, and mm. then Shreveport, Louisiana, until I went to college and went to college in Sarasota, Florida, and a funny, wonderful little school that was one of those early in the mid-60s, no grades, independent study, design your own mm. education, wow. you know, kind of a thing. And Way ahead of the curve. Way ahead of the curve. And then I got into graduate school, went to graduate school in Berkeley, 68. Heady. 1968 in Berkeley. Heady, okay, heady time. We could there. we could do a podcast just on that, couldn't we? <laughs> we could. Then I wanted to go find my own enlightenment instead of you know just studying it. Everybody else who was doing it, and it, I didn't feel that academia was where I would find it. Uh, I was going to be an academic. I was an American intellectual history major, uh, history of thought. Mm. You know, in this country, I love that. So yeah, I did too, and so then just hopped off onto my own self help, personal growth serious adventure and of course this is late 60s 70s california right you know come on that's that's like heady times for all that yeah landmark forum education all that that stuff so i explored a lot of those different kinds of things meditation whatever got a black belt in karate so i I got uh, martial art training and out of all that sort of fell in love with clear space having a clear head Mm -hmm. i'm a freedom guy yeah like i don't like to get hung up with things that distract me yeah so I kind of learned that from the early early days of meditation and, and martial arts practices. Mm. And then, uh, again, they, they weren't paying people to go study themselves. <laughs> not then. <laughs> no, and, and, and rice bowl and cave was not my style. You know, good-looking women, Chardonnay. You know, it's, uh, so somehow I wanted to find out how could I be in this world but not of this world, mm. if, you, if you kind of catch no, that, I, that I do, idea. Yeah. And so, again, they weren't paying people for that, so I had to go pay the rent, and had friends who had businesses, and I wound up helping a lot of them with their businesses. I'd go in and, and see what they were doing, see how I could help them out, and basically just make, you know say, hey, there's easier ways to do that, being the lazy guy that I am. 
and then I'd get bored once we fixed it and move on to another job. Now we know they call those consultants. You know? So the choice was either consultant or flake if you've had 35 <laughs> jobs like I had by the time sure. I was 35. Yeah. So, but you know, a wide range of experience was great. So as I started my own consulting practice, I got hungry to find models and good systems that I could use. So if I showed up to somebody to help them on a project or consult to them, and it wasn't clear how to help them, I would, I'd like to have good first aid or good things I could pull out of my pocket and be able to use that work for anybody, no matter who they were or where they were. Because, again, I didn't want to have to make it up every new gig. Sure. right? So very long story, very short, wound up getting little pieces of things. People often ask, gee, David, did you just wake up one morning with the getting things done GTD system? Right. No, just a long string of epiphanets right. you know, over a yeah. period of five or six or ten years as I figured it out. And I figured out stuff for myself that worked, gave me more sense of control and focus and clarity, turned around the techniques I was learning for myself, worked with all my consulting clients that I was working with, and then had a guy in a big corporation see what I was doing and said, we need that on a whole culture. So he challenged me to see if I could put that into a seminar format. So I designed a training, two-day personal productivity training for mid to senior level managers and executives in Lockheed, 1983-84. And it was quite a success. I found myself thrown into the corporate training world I didn't have any reference point about that. And by the way, I've never had any traditional or formal education in time management, business, or psychology. Wow. This is all street stuff. Yeah. Well, no, I can tell. And I'm kind of a street guy myself, and there's a visceral nature to it. And again, I shared with you mindset, motivation, methodology. What I find is that when you don't work it out from the dirt up, you're missing the methodologies. And you often leave people hanging with either a motivation or a need to acquire more knowledge, or just knowledge for knowledge's sake. Sure. But, okay, what do I do with this, you know? And also true, Brian, in my work, one of the things that really informed it and educated me a ton was because I was still doing a lot of one-on-one. We didn't call it coaching back then. It was really just consulting. But that work sort of morphed because of the success in the corporate training world. That morphed into one-on-one stuff with a lot of executives in those companies Mm. where they wanted me to sit down with them one-on-one. Sure. So, you know, Gladwell's 10,000 hours, I spent probably 50,000 hours quite real-time, one-on-one with truly some of the busiest, best, and brightest people you'd ever meet on the planet walking them through this methodology. And that really cemented, for me, the things that really, really worked. Sure. Well, it's also why you're so bulletproof on stage. You just did a Q&A with 1,500 people. And the reason why, you know, I can do that with my system because I've lived it for 30 years. Yeah. And the reason why you're bulletproof, and there's just a very connected, while being a, a free-spirited, open, progressive-thinking guy, at the same time you can be, here's what I know, and I won't back down from this, Because you've lived it, you know what works, and you've seen this. And for those of you who are new to David Allen, it's been interesting to me because David was connected through corporations and what's called the GTD movement. Many people in my space have, it's a movement they missed. And it's been amazing to me as I've been sharing with people and we've been telling people about you coming to our event. They're like, holy moly, this is some of the most amazing stuff. Like they they feel like they've seen the cure for cancer. And so for those of you who are not as aware, I, I would encourage you to right away just check out gettingthingsdone.com. Getting the book is just, and I really like the revised. I had the original, but I love the revised edition, which deals with all the technology and all the goofy stuff we have today. Because people are so confused today. So, I mean, the culture is designed to overwhelm you today. But it takes two to tango, right? It does. Well, anybody listening to this, just look out on the world. It's fine. Mm-hmm. It's not confused. Right. It's not overwhelmed. 
what's the issue? How you are engaged with the world mm. is the issue. Mm. And that's what I uncovered was the algorithms about how to get a hold of appropriate engagement. Mm. Appropriate engagement. Are you appropriately engaged with your health? Are you appropriately engaged with your clients? Are you appropriately engaged with your spouse? Are you appropriately engaged with your kids? Are you appropriately engaged with your dog? Are you appropriately engaged with your office space? Are you? Mm-hmm. And it's not about finishing all this stuff. It's not even about working harder. Yeah, sometimes you've got to put your shoulder to the you know, wheel and do yeah. all that stuff. But it's really about how do I create appropriate engagement so that I can be totally present right. with whatever it is I'm doing, which happens to be the most productive and healthy state to operate from. And I think people approach GTD and, and the brand of it. People often approach it from a standpoint of organization and productivity, which I see as 100% the byproduct of it. It is. You know, I see it as it's the consequence of getting your mind right. Yeah. Of getting clear. Well, in the corporate world, we've done, you know, trainings for, I think, 40% of the Fortune 100, anyway, companies. We've done internal work there in those companies. And what our deliverable is an installed thought process. Mm. It really mm. is. And, you know, come on, productivity's got a lot of baggage as a word. Sure. It really does. You know, people think, oh, harder work, there's right. sweat, longer hours or whatever, sure. whatever their image of that is. Yep. But quite frankly, productivity is simply achieving desired results, mm. right? And your desired result could just be an experience. But if you go on a vacation to relax and you don't relax, that's unproductive vacation. Right. You go to a party to boogie and you don't boogie, <laughs> you know, that's unproductive party, you know. But yeah. most people don't have it right. framed that way. But, you know, outcome and action, as you know, it's really key elements of the thought process. You think we're still conditioned by the Industrial Revolution that it's all about turning knobs and it's the Henry Ford model. And, you know, as people look at the, whether it be education, whether it be career, it's all about, you know, the list. I mean, you look at folks today. I have six kids. And Bev and I get a lot of people come to us and they go, oh, how'd you do this? How'd you do that? And they show me their list of what they're doing on a on a daily basis. And it's Everything is this assumed need to be the chauffeur. We have to go to this and this and this. We have the 14 things to do over a two-day period of time with the kids. And they're going to this tutor and do this, 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 and this. And there's no life in their life. Well, it's the stress of opportunity. Mm. You know, one of the easiest ways to really, really relax is being a crisis. Mm. Why? Adrenaline, fight or flight, right? Well, what happens is you start to engage in the behaviors that make you really clear. You get a ah, very specific desired result called this is live, great. right? Mm. You get very clear about a next action because you've got to get going. You course correct rapidly when you need mm. to do that. And that's why a lot of people move into their zone in a crisis. Sure. Because, because of that. Yeah. And, you know, time disappears. And, you know, my first TED Talk that I did at Claremont, I gave an example of how that works. And so in a crisis, what it does is it so simplifies your focus and you get involved in outcome and action. And you get engaged in that. The thing is, you don't have to wait for a crisis to do that. Mm. You just need the same kind of outcome and the same kind of action right. step and so forth. So, you know, I just figured out the algorithm about how you could get in your zone, have time disappear, be totally present all the time without having to have a crisis force you to do that. So awesome. You know, again, it's a stress of opportunity because, see, the problem is that when you're not in a crisis, there's a bigger one. Mm-hmm. It's called all the demons at the gate come rushing at you. Yeah. Oh, my God. The neighbor's putting their kids into a – they're listening to music and Mozart when they're <laughs> age two. They're going to get into Harvard. Oh, my God. My God. Right. I need to – oh, sure. my God. You know, so yeah. – and, of course, the social media and the internet have just you know quadrupled exponentially, right. really, the opportunity. I mean, come on. You have the world in your pocket. Yeah in terms of things you could be studying. Right. How many things could you be doing right now? Yeah. You know, and so The anxiety levels are through the roof yeah. because of all those dynamics. There's two 
David Allen quotes that I just love. One, your mind is for having ideas, not holding them. Okay, mm-hmm. I love that quote. Just tell the folks what that means to you. Well, I discovered this 35 years ago mm-hmm. and you know, had a mentor who taught me about just dumping everything out of my head, everything right. out of my head and emptying your head. And now, in the last decade or so, cognitive science has basically proven that that's true. Your head can handle about four things max before it, mm-hmm. it starts to feel overwhelmed and confused. Right. Your brain didn't evolve to do that. It didn't evolve to remember, remind, prioritize, or manage relationships mm. between more than four things. So as soon as you start adding in stuff like that, your head is just such a crappy office. And everybody's, almost everybody probably listening to this is still using their head as your office. Mm-hmm. But trying to think strategically, trying to manage you know, the stuff, the dreams and the five years and the ten things, trying to manage that in your head is impossible. Right. Impossible to do. You've got to externalize that stuff. What it does then is it frees you up. Mm. It doesn't make you stupid, actually, Mm -hmm. just on the opposite. What it does is it frees up your mind from not having the job of remembering, reminding. You need to finish the thinking about your stuff and then park the results out there in a trusted system. That frees you up to then listen to your internal intuition, gut, spirit, whatever it is that's real, the real driver in right. terms of your priorities. Kind of write yourself clear. As the thoughts come, you have one place. You showed your little pocketbook on stage, yeah. which was awesome. You've had it for 30 years. Idea comes, write it down. It's out of your head into a and place. And I throw away probably 80 or 90% of those thoughts. Sure. I just don't know which ones are the good ones yet. Right. I have to get into another frame of mind to then see it. So I learned to overcapture years ago mm-hmm. and then just make sure I clean it up before long. So, right. you know, when you come back from a conference, you come back from a meeting, you got a ton of notes, right. you need to then filter that rapidly and go through it. You know, there's, I hate to say it, but probably a lot of these 1,500 people that are going to come back and have a whole lot of notes that are likely to wind up in their huh, stacks. Yeah, right. They're going to come back and go, sure. huh, and just, right. you know, sit it on the side of the desk and then feel guilty if they didn't yeah. do anything with it or whatever. Right. And, you know, so my stuff is extremely immediately practical and right. usable. It is. And that's one of the reasons we're excited because we feel these folks are going back to a coach who's sitting in there walking through the process, who was reading the book and going through the training prior to us doing this so we could catch it and help people and walk through the process. Because I'm all about, you know, education without implementation is merely entertainment. Right. And so powerful stuff. This is a quote that I love. It says, people think a lot, but most of that thinking is of a problem, not about it. I love that concept that, you know, most people are thinking a lot, but they're thinking of a project or situation, but they're not thinking about it. Right. And there's such a radical difference there. Huge. Doesn't sound like it, but it, it, it's it, everything. But it's, yeah. One is worry and one is creativity. Sure. Well, we've finally, you know, kind of unpacked the real mission of this whole getting things done for me and my wife. And people say, gee, David, what's my big why and what's the big vision I mm. have? that we have a world with no problems, only projects. Because hmm. the only thing you're going to call a problem or worry about is something that some part of you assumes could or should be different. You're just not engaged in making it so. Hmm. So you didn't complain about gravity this morning, and yet it's causing your body parts to sag. Right. Right. People are dying because of gravity, but nobody complains about that. Why? Because they know they can't change it. Right. So you start to identify a problem. You know, should I get divorced or not? Is that a project? You bet. What's the outcome? get clarity in my relationship, Mm. right? So the subtlety of defining what are the projects, what are the things that actually have my attention. And again, anybody listening to this, you don't have to go very far to where to apply this thought process. It's got what's got your attention. 
Mm. Where has your mind gone since you've been listening to even me and Brian talk for just a few minutes here? Right. That wasn't about anything we were saying. Right. Wherever that was is something that you're not yet appropriately engaged with. Mm. That's not bad. It's just an indicator of where the work is to do this. And you right. mentioned Henry Ford is this all the industrial thing. Somebody, very sophisticated person said, gee, David, what you've uncovered is essentially the Henry Ford process for knowledge work. Right. In other words, what is the process? Sure. Because knowledge work means you've got to think to figure out what to do, as opposed to the doing is self-evident in front of you, which is the old industrial thing where tailors work and so forth. It's just about making that workflow more efficient. Right. And even these days with the sophisticated lean and agile and scrum and all of that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. those are all about the external workflow. Right. Somebody <laughs> very accurately said, you know, GTD is lean for the brain. No mm. waste nice. in terms of what's going on in well, your head. Well, here's how I communicate it in my own mind is there's a difference between efficient and effective. Mm-hmm. And I think corporations right now are really struggling with this process. I think it's why I actually think as much as GTD has been this worldwide phenomenon, this huge movement, I think by far its best days are yet to come. You know, we help companies that we're working with through our process and they're so caught up in themselves. And there's layer on top of layer on top of layer. And everything's about efficiency. But, you know, in the world we live in today, like, for example, the technology can make it efficient. You can find a technology to walk your dog and put your kids to bed. But there's a more effective way. And the simplicity to this, and I think this is really the promise of the book that sounds like, you know, and in meeting you and getting connect with you, hyperbole is not something I would associate with you. You're kind of an understated, cool cat. And yet, stress-free productivity. That's what the subheading on the book is. And I remember when I first read it, I looked at it and I went, because I had heard things and people said, oh, you got to hear David Allen. And we had met people in common and people said, you got to meet David and you got to do this. And people have said to me, you got to have David at your conferences. And so I get the book and I see the subheading. Now, today we live in a world where if you're on The Apprentice on Tuesday, your book comes out on Thursday. Not, I spent 30 years and 50,000 hours consulting organizations of all sorts and turning them around by becoming more effective. I go through the book and I went, oh my goodness. And as I started to apply the process, I came face to face. As much as I'm the personal growth guy and the seminar guy and the head of the coaching, I'm like, I fell into every stereotype the book had to offer. I fell into every trap that you talked about. And I was like, and I love systemization because to me it brings freedom. You know, if you think about the California freeway system, I know you lived in L.A. for a long time, Santa Barbara. You think of the dots on the road. That little simple dots and occasional little light bump is what stops total chaos from happening. Sure. Because I'm in my lane. Right. I have freedom. I can change lanes. I have freedom. I can go the speed I want. I can drive the car I want. But at the end of the day, that freedom for thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of people to commute together is maintained because of the structure and these simple little routines. And if you stay inside the lines, it is more stress-free. It allows you to think about stuff while you're driving, besides driving. Yeah. Think about that. Yeah. Right. And so what you're looking for is that type of life. And the goal is then the process of prioritization where, okay, I want to set my mind to the things that are really most meaningful and important to me. Yeah. I'm going to put a strange twist in what you said. Okay. You know, there's the efficiency and effectiveness, you know, sort of not dichotomy, but the, mm. the, that distinction. And yet at the deepest level, it's all efficiency. Mm. Because at the deepest level, you are a purposeful spirit. Mm-hmm. At some level, 
there's something for you to complete, uh-huh. right? Yeah. Here to express, expand, grow, change. When does Brian really show up? When yeah. does David really show up? Yeah. Right. So we're here to do that. So there is an efficiency factor called how well are you doing that? Mm. That's why I identified the different horizons. So that's why, in a way, I don't deal with your shoulds. I deal with what's true. But mm. what's true can take on lots of different layers. See, once you give appropriate attention, Brian, to what has your attention, you'll find out what really has your attention. Mm. Which, by the way, once you get appropriately engaged with, will open up what really has your attention. Mm. This is a deep, big onion to sure. unpeel. Yeah. So the process itself can be applied at any of these multiple levels. Mm-hmm. So all you have to do is just pay attention to what has your attention, start yeah. to engage with it appropriately, and it opens space. It opens the space for the visions to show up that are already there. Mm. They really are. Or they're part of something that's already there. Is this, as you dove into the discipline of meditation, this was a, a, a simultaneous dynamic? For me, I, I was exposed to the discipline of contemplative prayer mm-hmm. about 30 years ago. Thomas Keating up in Snellmass, Colorado. And, you know, for me to get quiet and, to, you know, not be attached to thought and those kinds of things. I mean, initially it was hilarious. <laughs> I mean, my initial... You know, first few months in the endeavor were basically me with a baseball bat beating back my thoughts, you know. And then over time, you know, as you get connected to this more mindful situation, becoming unattached to those things, you truly have a chance. Like you say, the onion starts to peel and you really get to the heart of the matter. You know, what am I really here for? What am I really doing? Yeah. What is really important? Because what keeps coming up to your mind is what's really important. And, you know, I kind of came at it from a strange angle, too. You know, my first exploration, if you'd have told me I was going to be a productivity guru, in, especially in the business or corporate world, yeah. you know, I'd have said, oh, come on, you know, I was going to be an American history teacher. You yeah. know? And then as I began the spiritual explorations, and a lot of that was because I was having some very deep spiritual experiences, mm. and I was trying to make sense of where they came from, get a hold of it again. I've always been fascinated, interestingly, if I look back, I couldn't have told you this when I started, but the thread that's run all the way from the time I was conscious as a kid, I've been fascinated by what you couldn't see and how it affected what you could. Mm. That there are invisible things, well, much like you can't see emotions, you can't see your mind, but there are a lot of other invisible things that are making things run. And I thought, well, if I could get a hold of that, talk about lazy (laughs) <laughs> you know, if I could get a hold of what's really making the universe run, then, wow, I'd be way ahead of the game, and I, I could make stuff move just by thinking about it. Yeah. Right? My first career, my first job was as a magician at age five. <laughs> right? On the sidewalks of Palestine, Texas, I charged five cents to run my little magic show. Nice. So I was always fascinated by the stuff you couldn't see. And that's why I got involved in, I thought I was going to be interested in law, and then I was an exchange student in Switzerland for a year, and that sort of opened me up to hmm. sort of the, the field of arts and culture in ways I, I had never sure. seen before. So I got very interested in the liberal arts. And then philosophy was my first interest in college, but then philosophers were boring because they wound up proving their original hypothesis using their original hypothesis. Yeah, right. And, well, that's kind of a, what we call a circle thing. <laughs> yeah. <you know? laughs> yeah, right. And so, but I got more interested in why that philosopher started with that hypothesis. And why that one started with another one. And that's how I got involved in intellectual history, history of thought. Mm. And we didn't use that word back then, but it was really about paradigms and how paradigms affected perception and performance. And that's then sort of led me into, you know, then exploring a lot more what were these paradigms and how did we get in touch with them. So I've always been fascinated by how you get in touch with that. So I kind of came at it from the more spiritual experience side, but then discovered that, well, yeah, we are spiritual beings, but we're here in the material world. 
So you can't just leave this. Right. If you're here, there's something to be engaged with this right. world. So again, as I said, I'm learning to be in this world, but not of this world. Yeah. Find out why we're here. And in a way, and you know, I don't share this necessarily with a lot of people, but the whole concept of getting things done was about the two elements that I think are the critical elements, completion and creativity. Mm. We're here to finish what we've put in motion and be accountable for that. Call it karma, call it whatever it is you put in motion that you've identified with, you're going to eat. It's going to come back to you, mm-hmm. right? That is a rule of sure. the, the law of the harvest of the universe, yeah. right? And then you can't stop creating if you're conscious. So now you not only handle what you've put in motion and handle that with integrity, and then also be accountable for where you're putting your conscious mm. focus. So completion and creativity, and that's really the essence of well, what I, getting you things know, done that's is about. Accountability and creativity are not often used in the same sentence that way, mm-hmm. and that's why there's many people who are so heavenly minded they're no earthly good. That's right. Right, and so having it anchored and rooted into something that affects. You know, for me, it became very simple to me as I grew and, and learned. It was impact and improve the lives of people. Mm-hmm. That was it. Impact and improve the lives of people. And that's where my thought life is. That's where every angle, every interview, every process, every, everything I do is how can this impact and how can this improve? Yeah. And we turned that into a business. Yeah. You know? So people often come and say, well, you know, should I start a coaching company? Should I do this? And I, I'll often walk them through our headquarters in California and go, all right, here's $80 million worth of overhead. And this, this is not what I would desire for anybody, you know? And it wasn't what I wanted. But in order to get the outcomes that were necessary for transformation, it wasn't enough for me to get standing ovations sure. on stage. Yeah. You know, that just didn't do it for me. It's just yeah. not how I'm wired. Yeah. It was the impact six months, nine months, a year, two years, three years, five years. And now we have clients with us for 20 years and 23 years. Yeah. You know? Well, you know, people have often made the distinction the contradictions between being and doing. Mm-hmm. And from my experience, the people who are truly most tapped into being are big doers. Right. So there is a very clear relationship between yeah. accountability yeah. and creativity. No, that's good. That's very good. And there's so much we can delve into, and there's so much I'd love to talk about. But there's one technique you talked about today that really kind of perked me up. And I've read about it. I've seen your content. I've watched this. But I actually watching you go through your slides where you were talking about your little to-do list. Mm-hmm. And I just thought the distinction was, it was so simple, it was so profound, and I'd love to share it with the folks listening right here. And if you could just share a little bit between this, the standard to-do list yeah. and then the GTD to-do list. Yeah, well, most people's organization or incomplete list of still unclear stuff mm-hmm. that can produce as much stress as they were leave to begin with because right. people look at it and go, God, there's still decisions and stuff I need to think about and I don't have the energy to think and decide and stop reminding me I'm overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. So most people's lists have things like mom or bank, or tooth, or birthday, or holiday, or VP of marketing. Memory joggers. Yeah, just something. And God bless them, that's the first step, is to identify something that has your attention. Well, why did you write mom? Well, her birthday's coming. What are you going to do about her birthday? I don't know what I'm going to do about her birthday. And that's the problem. So, yes, most to-do lists are the first step or they're just the beginning of the first step of the GTD process. But then what you need to do is you need to be able to say, okay, what exactly do those things mean to you? And the meaning of those things is, is it actionable, yes or no? And if it is, what's the action step that you would need to take? If you had nothing else to do but mom's birthday right now, what would you do? If you had nothing else to do but get closure on that, where would you go? Would you write an email, would you surf the web, call your sister, whatever, to make that determination? And will one action complete this? No. So you have a project. So now you have an outcome, 
give mom a good birthday party and you have an action step. Call your sister and see what she thinks about mm-hmm. what we should do for mom's birthday party. Right Now those things, the outcome goes on a project list along with all your other things like the vacation or the holiday, hire the vice president or whatever. But you also then have very specific action steps right. about each one of those things. And so you actually have to unpack essentially the initial thought that you captured. You actually need to unpack that. So the end basket, my end basket and what we teach is the end basket, the capture place, should capture anything that's potentially meaningful, mm-hmm. potentially meaningful. You don't know yet, but it might be. There might be something you might need to do or decide about those conference notes or about the email that's in there. And so all that stuff that we're collecting, those are not lists as such. They're just content that you then need to clarify. Once you clarify them, you can delete a lot. You can file a lot as reference. You can finish a lot of two-minute actions. And then you wind up with an inventory of actions you need to take and projects that you need to complete. But that takes thinking. It takes decision-making about this. So you need to take it another two steps. So you capture then you clarify, and then you organize the results of that thinking in some trusted place. Right. So when you go out for errands, you'll see every single errand you need to run. doesn't mean you need to do all of them, right. but you're not missing anything. But what you're doing is you're freeing up the headspace yeah. by not just doing something that makes you think, choose, decide, work, and overwhelm you. So you're looking at a list of pain. Yeah, indeed. It's actually, you take the little extra step. Be more specific. We have a phrase in the coaching that says, if you want to be terrific, you got to be specific. <laughs> yeah, right? right on. And so you push it to the specific. And it doesn't mean that the time or date is done next to it. You know, but now it's like, okay, what am I going to work on? And then you're free. You're free because you've gotten it out of your head right. and down. Now, here's the thing. I've been accused of being too old school. Now, we have built kind of the gold star contact management system, CRM, in the real estate space. So we have invested heavily in technologies. We've got huge technologies at Buffini and Company. But you said something that I have lived by and I continue to live by, and my younger millennials around me on occasion give me great grief over, which is I still use pen and paper and I still write things out. Just give us your perspective on the dynamic of writing things out versus just digital. I like them both, and I'm not really an expert at all the neurologies about sure. that. We do know that you'll remember stuff more if you're actually physically writing it out right. You know, the, the otherwise. I like the digital world. I use it a lot. So I'm capturing a lot of things with pen and paper because that's it's easier, it's faster, it's ubiquitous. You don't have no Wi-Fi, no batteries required. Right. And you need it ubiquitously kind of wherever you are. Mm-hmm. So I like that. And I have lovely fountain pens and a journal that I love writing mm-hmm. in. And I think that's great. So just my own experiences, I think yeah. there's values for different kinds of things, ways to do that. Even like you write on an electronic whiteboard. Yeah. That also, it's still externalizing it and it still gets you physically involved. But even the computer gets you physically involved. Yeah. So I don't think that there's really a, too much, in yeah. my own experience, too much of a big difference my mentor, Jim Rohn, always yeah. told me to buy a really expensive journal. Yeah. And then he said, now make the thoughts that you put down inside there really valuable. Yeah. And for some reason, that was 30 years ago, and it's always stuck yeah. with me, and it, and it communicates. But it's been great having you. And thanks for making the trip. My pleasure. You've got a great group of folks. Your staff are fabulous. Appreciate and, it. And, uh, boy, you've done a good job. I appreciate it. All right, here's our rapid-fire questions. You're on the hot seat, sir. Oh, my God, okay. Here we go. All right, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received let go and let god Mm, i love it love it where'd you get that from my spiritual coach nice yeah which you you reference often Mm -hmm. and give a lot of credit to that's wonderful number two what one talent or gift do you wish you possessed that you currently don't elegant small talk Mm. Mm. i've always been jealous of people who just knew how to do that (laughs) 
<laughs> at a like, party uh, or a social anything. Function. And they find actually my spiritual coach was one of the best I'd ever met in the world. Mm. He knew how to meet people where they were, and he knew how to engage them in something that made them feel fabulous, talking about the dumbest, silliest, little, simple little things and having something to talk to them about. Because I'm really a closet introvert. Mm. You know, I stand out and do the ta-da kind of stuff, kind of like you do too, but that's not my... So I actually have to work at engaging with people. So that's my one. Great. Okay. What book has been most instrumental in your life? There's no one really... Well... The Bible, Tao mm-hmm. Te Ching. I could put all of those kind Spiritual of in the category when I was doing yeah. a lot of that kind of explorations. I think uh, getting things done <laughs> has been the most instrumental <laughs> book in your life. Well, <laughs> you, if you really want to learn something, write it. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, really. no doubt. That's great. All right. There's a movie that you just, anytime it's on, you kind of stop and watch some of it or all of it. It's like a movie you've watched over and over again. Is there anyone that's ever? Bandits. Come on. That's the second time I've heard that. Now, why is that? Your... It's just, uh, it's just so great. Bruce Willis is just so yeah. perfect in that role, yeah. along with uh, whoever this sidekick is who is playing the neurotic, yeah. you know, guy. And I don't know. It was just such fun. Yeah. And the music's great. Mm-hmm. And it's such a great story. See. My wife's not necessarily a big guy flick kind of, but yeah. she loves that too. Nice. Moonstruck would be up sure. there too. Yeah. Know, so for that's sure. for you and your bride. Yeah. That's great. Okay. Last but not least. Something still left out there on your bucket list? Oh, a few places to go that I have. I've been pretty much all over the world, but I haven't been to New Zealand or Iceland yet. Mm-hmm. And those would be on my, that would yeah. be on my list to do that. It's so funny. I, Catherine and I live in Amsterdam and been there five years. There's so much to experience just in Amsterdam. Right. I mean, so much culture, so yeah. much art, so much great food now, and I mean, a lot, yeah. a lot of things. So, you know, I'm kind of living my, my bucket list. Yeah, you, you are. Know? I mean, I Europe really... is so amazing where you go, like you think about the states, and you go from state to state, but the Kentucky Fried Chicken and the Carl's Jr. looks the same, and you go 30 miles, you go 40 miles, you're in a different yeah. country, yeah. different language, different culture, different food. And also, come on, you know, Brian, when you get to be 73 like me, yeah. there's a whole lot of stuff my life is just full of yeah. that I've done. So just taking a walk, yeah. you know, and we had to put our wonderful little Cavalier King Charles down mm. a couple of months ago. So we're going to get another one. Just doing that. Just yeah. the easy, simple stuff. Powerful. Walk in the park. My wife, good food and drink. Yeah. You know, we love. It's a good life. <sighs> Can't complain. I will say this to you. Always on my flight home. I would always refuel in either Greenland or Iceland to get to Ireland. Mm. And I will say both places. If you get a chance, if you do Iceland, do Greenland. And it is spectacular. Yeah. Okay. The Northern Lights in Iceland, I've seen the Northern Lights four times. Mm. But the Northern Lights in Iceland was a sight I will never forget. I'll bet. And if you've seen as an appetizer, I don't know if you've seen the movie Walter Mitty, The Secret Life of Walter oh, Mitty. Oh, yes, I did. Oh, yes. Fantastic. And there's a whole period there based in, in Iceland. I think you'd get a great kick out of it. Cool. So good stuff. Well, you are a cool dude. And just, <laughs> Takes one to know one, Brian. You know, I just really appreciate you. I really appreciate what you do and how you do it. And I think it's made a great difference in a lot of people's lives, and it's brought a lot of clarity to a lot of people. And even though it's geared around the packaging of productivity, I think it's really helping people to free up and focus on really living better lives and being freer in their mind, heart, and spirit. And I think that's the gift you bring. And that's what I see in the work, and I'm very thankful and just proud you can join us. Thanks for flying in from Amsterdam. Thank you for the invitation. Well, thanks again for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. This has truly been a great day we've had here. I'm going to send you over to the man who gets things done for me, our producer, David Lally. 
Mr. Lally, take it away. And David is, by the way, our producer back home, an Irishman who introduced me to David Allen in the first place. So <laughs> great stuff. Thanks for joining me today. David, over to you. Great stuff. Thanks, Brian. And thanks to you, David, for sharing all that content with us today. You can see David Allen at his Getting Things Done Summit in Amsterdam, June 20th to the 21st. You can learn more at gtdsummit.com. And as we finish up today, I'll leave you with a little Irish blessing from Brian's mum, Therese. May the road rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields, and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time.